Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. This is Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Mooseheads. NCAA. Hey, this is Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. It's Alex Turcotte. Hey, it's Kale McCarver. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Ferby from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikolai Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gordon Bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Derry from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Caden Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sound. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. Good weekend. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show. My name is Gee Fleming, and thank you to everybody who is a, a returning listener to the uh, show if, for coming back for more. If you're a newcomer, then welcome aboard. And if you're a patron at patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show, then uh, thank you very much uh, for your continued support, helping keep the Pipeline Show going. Let's get to the uh, question of the week, which I put up on Twitter a couple of days ago, actually. So it's, uh, this one's had a lot of time to breathe and get some feedback. Uh, the question of the week, the goalies at the virtual summer camp for Hockey Canada were these five goaltenders. The question is which two, and I guess three really, because this year they are expanding their rosters, which three will backstop Canada at the 2021 World Junior Championship here in Edmonton? The five goalies that were at the summer uh, virtual camp, uh, Brett Brochu from the London Knights, Sebastian Kosa of the Edmonton Oil Kings, Dylan Garanda of the uh, Kamloops Blazers, Taylor Goche of the Prince George Cougars and the Saginaw Spirits netminder Tristan Lennox. Eddie replied with Kosa, Grand, and Lennox in that order of on the depth chart. Uh, Jerome Berube from uh, HockeyProspect.com says, I think they missed the boat by not inviting Devin Levi at the summer virtual camp, as Levi and Grand would be my duo. That's what Jerome says. Nick, who is the play-by-play voice of the Portland Winterhawks, says it should be the three dub guys. That would be Grand, Kosa, and Goche. Puckman says Kosa and Grand should be the starting two. 17 Curry says Kosa and Grand for me. Justin has added Goche and Grand. Brett says Grand and Lennox. Krumsky votes for Goche and Grand. And Jake uh, has entered Kosa, Grand, Goche. Should be the three on the roster. Lennox and Brochu not even in the discussion. Brochu benefits off of a very strong London team, and in my opinion, he shouldn't even be close. That from Jake. You can get involved in the conversation. At TPS underscore Guy is where you can find me on Twitter. And for the record, uh, for myself, uh, my starter is Dylan Grand uh, with uh, Sebastian Kosa as uh, the number two. And because they will be taking three, uh, then for me it's a split between Goche and Lennox. Uh, both have played for Hockey Canada in the past. 
Uh, Lennox numbers with a contending team in Saginaw last year, not very impressive. So I might lean towards Goche, but that, I suppose, is what a camp is for. So you can share your thoughts with me on Twitter and get involved in the question of the week. Let's get to the news and notes, and uh, not a whole lot that uh, I'm going to mention here, uh, as I do want to get to the uh, the interviews for this week's show. But uh, yesterday, as I'm speaking with you right now, it is a Friday. Yesterday it was announced uh, one more team out of the queue has uh, had to suspend play because of a, a positive COVID result, and that is the Drummondville Voltageur uh, one player. So they have uh, suspended operations. Uh, last week, uh, all the teams in Quebec had basically been uh, shut down, in, and also the Moncton Wildcats. Uh, well, Moncton is back up and running now and will play this weekend. In fact, they're playing tonight. We'll talk about that in one of our upcoming segments, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, also uh, reported yesterday, uh, Rick West said again from TSN with uh, another update on the uh, lawsuit. Remember the class action lawsuit uh, that in, back in May, uh, it was announced by the CHL and by the, uh, the plaintiffs who were looking for back pay for minimum wage. They had agreed to a $30 million settlement, and then a couple of weeks ago it was announced there was a, a third party that got involved, and... Uh, that the there was an objection to the a settlement between the plaintiffs and the defendants. Well, according to Rick Westhead, there was a, a judge in uh, Quebec that uh, didn't approve and has rejected the settlement. I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how that stuff works, but it seems odd that you have two parties in a, involved in a in a lawsuit and they agree to the outcome, uh, and then a third party gets involved and says no. But I, I'm not a lawyer. Maybe I have to get one on the show. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. And it wasn't just the lawyer in Quebec. There was another in Ontario who uh, also rejected the minimum wage lawsuit settlement. We'll be talking a lot about the uh, World Junior Championship here for the next uh, couple of months, obviously, with nothing else really going on, uh, at least for now until college hockey starts up and uh, some other leagues uh, try to get going again. But uh, obviously the World Junior takes a big focus of the show uh, around December anyway. But one interesting uh, item that uh, I saw uh, Corey Pronger from The Athletic uh, mention on Twitter is that uh, NHL scouts have been uh, informed that they won't be able to attend. So there won't be any fans, there won't be any scouts. Uh, I haven't heard yet if there's been restrictions on uh, media. Uh, I personally won't be going. Yes, it's it's here in Edmonton, but uh, I do have a, uh, a daughter with special needs and would be considered at high risk. Uh, so yeah, I will not be uh, attending the World Junior Championship myself. Quite possibly not any WHL activity in January, if that's the case. That uh, that does begin. Don't know. We'll uh, we'll get to that bridge when we come to it. Still three months away. But interesting, uh, and and that makes things tougher for NHL teams for sure. Because I know every scout that I've talked to said you can get stuff from video scouting or, or watching games on TV, but it's not the same as actually being in the rink. All right, let's get to the guest list. Uh, all four of my guests that you're going to hear from today uh, join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. The tap room in Red Deer is open. You can go in, let them know the pipeline show sent you, and they'll take great care of you. If you're not in the Red Deer area, though, and you still want Troubled Monk, and if you're in Edmonton, Calgary, Red Deer, St. Albert, or Sherwood Park, here's what you do. You go online to troubledmonk.com. You enter promo code PIPELINE, and uh, you can get your delivery no matter you're spending 20 bucks or 200 bucks, you can get that delivered right to your door same day if you do it before one o'clock, uh, and that delivery will be on the house. So that's troubledmonk.com. 
That's craft beer worth sharing. And I am out of my uh, stock, my inventory of Troubled Monk, so I have to put in a new order here uh, right away. In fact, I let it go. I was going to do it today, uh, but it is now after one, so I'll be doing it tomorrow. The guest that you're going to hear from today mentioned the World Junior Championship. Well, my first guest today is uh, a returning player for Team USA. He's a uh, sophomore at the University of Michigan, first-round pick of the Boston Bruins a couple of years ago, John Beecher who uh, makes a return to the Pipeline show he was on during his uh, draft season. So we'll catch up with him, talk about uh, the a camp that uh, USA Hockey just had wrapped up about a week ago. From there, we'll have a conversation with uh, Brad Elliott Schlossman from the Grand Forks Herald in North Dakota as the NCHC Conference has announced their plans and how they're going to go about starting their season on December 1st in a bubble. Get all the details on that with uh, Brad in our second guest segment. Then we'll head back out to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Willie Palov, a beat writer covering the Halifax Mooseheads, he'll join us with all the latest. And we'll wrap up this week's uh, fun conversation I had with the voice of the Kamloops Blazers, John Keane, as I pick his brain a little bit about the WHL's plan to return to action on January 8th. So a lots to get to. But before we do, let me remind you that Pro Stock Hockey is a great uh, place for you to pick up some uh, high-caliber gear from your favorite NHL clubs. They have new pants in from the Washington Capitals just added to their inventory. They also have skates from the Toronto Maple Leafs, as well as uh, player and goalie sticks from the Leafs. Pro Stock Hockey is the website. You can find out all the information and uh, take it from there. But let's get to the show. And uh, first up, John Beecher, Boston Bruins prospect, sophomore at the University of Michigan, and a returning player for Team USA at the World Junior Championship. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, it's Cody Kunick from the Alaska Nonix. Hey, it's John Corrales of the Miami Red Hawks. Hello, it's uh, Mark Jankowski. Hey, it's Phil DiGiuseppe from the Michigan Wolverines. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. One of the biggest names in country music is coming to Atchison. Gord Banford is performing with special guests Jake Buckley and Steve Newsom on October 24th, and there's only a few tickets left. Proceeds are going towards local charities like the Foundation for Cohesive Communities and Cure ECHS1. See one of country music's biggest stars live in Atchison on October 24th. Brought to you by GS Construction, Next Gen Transportation, and hosted by Western Star Trucks North. Get your tickets now at tickets.sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hey, as they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. This is the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we're going to uh, begin this week's episode uh, looking ahead to the uh, 2021 World Junior Championship. It's up here in Edmonton, and uh, my next guest uh, will likely be there as a returning player for the United States. I don't want to uh, put the uh, cart before the horse, but uh, John Beecher, welcome back to the program. How are you today, John? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well uh, as well, but uh, I'm not uh, getting ready for, well, a, a big season this year with the Michigan Wolverines and, of course, the World Junior Championship. You just got together with uh, your future teammates uh, for USA Hockey's uh, World Junior Camp. Wrapped up, what, last uh, early last week it wrapped up? Yeah, yep, exactly. It was uh, about five, six days ago, so just uh, recovering still and getting ready for the for the upcoming season. Well, what was that camp like compared to other ones that you've been to? Everything seems to be have its own little weird spin to it uh, these days, thanks to the uh, to the old global pandemic and all that. But uh, so, how was that camp different from 
uh, most uh, most camps? It was different. You know, I think it was it was quieter. Um, I mean, which is almost a nice thing at times. You know, I mean, you just kind of got to be with the boys and, um, you know, it's just kind of our area. Um, I mean, you know, usually uh, you come out of the rink and, you know, you have media and, and a lot of people coming around just to, to talk and meet you guys. And, um, you know, I think it was kind of nice, just a little change of pace, just to kind of be able to, to walk around the rink and just hang out with the guys and, and know you didn't have, you know, too many eyes on you. You could just kind of hang out and, and just do do as you please to, to uh, a certain extent. And, uh, you know, I think it was, you know, a, a really productive camp. You know, I think we got all, a lot out of it. And, um, you know, I mean, it was great to see some of my uh, my old teammates and some of my best buddies. So it was, uh, it was a good week. If it's a kind of a relaxing atmosphere off the ice, does that change the way you and the rest of the guys played on the ice at all? No, you know, I think everybody kind of knows what's at stake here. I mean, growing up as a kid, you know, you uh, you you want to make the world junior team, and uh, I mean, everybody out there is battling for a spot. So I mean, it was a super competitive five six days, and uh, I mean, uh, that level of hockey was was really good. You know, I mean, especially considering that you know guys haven't been playing too much, and I mean, we haven't had real game action and five or six months so uh, i thought you know with you know the hands that we were dealt i thought uh, guys came out and, and competed really hard and, and looked great out there i would have to think that uh it must have been, felt really good to kind of have some normalcy come back to you know what everybody is going through and you're no different uh, and certainly at school i'm sure everything is is a little bit weird uh, right now so to get on the ice and just sort of have a camp like that almost like uh, a little piece of uh, uh you know normalcy yeah, no, definitely. You know, I think um, just the aspect of having games again, you know, I think guys just miss that level of competition, you know, and, and miss the feeling of getting ready for a game. Um, I mean, I personally, I was even a little nervous before that first game going out. And, you know, I mean, I knew everybody I was playing against, you know, they're some of my best buddies. And, you know, it felt like I was lining up against uh, a Big Ten opponent. So, uh, I mean, it was it was a special feeling and uh, always nice to get back out there and, and compete again. Just to have some sort of idea and put a picture in uh, people's heads of, of what was different off the ice. What sort of safety protocols and all that stuff do you have to follow constantly, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you, just, you have a mask on everywhere. You know, just social distancing as much as you can. Uh, I mean, certain amount of people in, in an area at one time. And, um, you know, I mean, just the normal things that are that are going around with, like, the country and, and what everybody has to follow right now. You know, I mean, it's not ideal, but um i mean it uh it worked out well you know i mean from what i know i think everybody returned back to their teams safe and uh they were able to to get back to training and, and get back with their with their respective teams so uh it worked out well uh, john beecher from uh, the university of michigan uh, my guest as we uh, look back at the world junior camp last week for usa hockey and uh for you uh this will be the second go around with the world junior team uh last year no points in the five games that you played, but uh, how do you feel about the way you performed at the World Junior last year? Um, yeah, you know, I think it was pretty disappointing, you know, not being able to help out on the point sheet. But, uh, you know, looking back on my tournament, you know, I think I had a lot of success in every other area. Um, I mean, I was a big big part of our penalty kill. You know, I, I really liked how we kind of manifested that, and I thought we did a great job throughout the tournament. Um, you know, I was, I was physical. I was getting in the four check and playing a sound 200-foot game. So, uh, I mean... Obviously, everybody wants to wants to score a goal or get an assist to help the team win. But uh, I mean, there's there's so many different avenues that you can take to to help the boys out. And you know, I think I did a good job at that when I was struggling on the point sheet. So I was uh, 
I was happy, but uh, always a lot of room for improvement, and um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna build on that and, and take it in, into consideration. Well, and having that experience now, uh, you come back to the team as one of the uh, de facto leaders, uh, maybe uh, not just uh, off the ice and in the room, but on the ice as well as an offensive guy. Do you, do you expect to take on more of an offensive role this time around? Um, yeah, you know, I think if I'm fortunate enough to to be able to be a part of the team again this year, um, you know, I mean, obviously we have a bunch of talent up front. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's just going to be me sticking to my game. You know, I'm not going to worry too much about putting pucks in the back of the net or anything like that and putting too much pressure on myself. Um, you know, I'm just going to go out there and, and do everything I can to help my team win, whether it's making uh, winning face-off, you know, playing body or blocking shots, you know, just helping in all different aspects and, and not worrying about that too much. It's It's not easy for everybody to... On their club team, they might be the go-to guy, and then when you get to play on a national team, you might have to take on a different role than what you're used to playing uh, every weekend. It sounds like to to me, though, for you, you are comfortable fitting in anywhere. If you if you're asked to be a defensive guy and you know play on the PK and, and not get power play time, you're okay with that. Although this time you you might have more opportunity to, to strut your offensive stuff. But if if asked, you can be that defensive forward, and you're okay with that. Is that? how you see it too yeah you know i think my time at the uh national development program kind of helped me you know kind of settle into to different roles i mean obviously we had you know all the skill in the world on that team with Husey, caulfield turcott zegris i mean right the list goes on and on with guys and uh you know i mean i was put into a more you know power forward role with you know being a 200 foot you know responsible player and um, you know, I think that kind of translated into my game today. You know, I think I can play up and down a lineup and, you know, kind of play a bunch of different roles for my team as to whatever they need me to do. So, I mean, like I said, you know, I'm fortunate enough to get the opportunity to, to go to Edmonton this year. Uh, I mean, you know, wherever I'm wherever I'm put, I'm going to go and, and do the best I can at that opportunity and in my job. Uh, having that inside look at the team, uh, what do you think of uh, the roster or the potential for the roster this year for the United States? uh looking good you know i think the uh the boys look sharp you know like i like i talked about earlier i mean it's been a while since guys have, have played much hockey and especially in in a game style and um i mean from what i saw you know the guys looked really sharp um you know there's a lot of skill up and down the lineup and um there's a lot of a lot of guys that can play you know role type minutes and and shut guys down so uh, i think i think the, the there's going to be a, a deep team and um they're going to have a, a a lot of success with the tournament and you know, hopefully I can uh, be a part of that. should ask you how you feel about uh, leaving the country and coming up to, to Canada here in Edmonton, uh, where, well, we just had the Stanley Cup bubble, and that seemed to, to work really, really well. But uh, any nerves about uh, leaving uh, the uh, familiar environment like that and coming up here uh, during a, you know, a global pandemic like this? No, I, uh, I'm not too worried about it at all. You know, I you know uh, the, uh, the committee of, the committee of, um, you know, the IIHF and, and USF are doing a good job at keeping us safe and making sure all the necessary precautions are safe. You know, you see uh, the NHL bubble. I mean, they had nothing but success there, so uh, I don't think anybody will be, be too worried about making the trip. A little different. All the teams will be uh, playing in the same building. You might cross paths with, uh, you know, some of the competitors uh, at the hotels and things like that. Uh, just that sort of environment could be a lot of fun, couldn't it? Yeah, I think it kind of, you know, helps guys almost get outside their own team a little bit. You know, I think, especially with us in Canada, you know, I think a lot of the guys kind of know each other and, you know, they're friends. Uh, I mean, I know there's going to be, you know, a good amount of, of passing by throughout, like, 
the couple of weeks that we're there. But uh, I'm sure, you know, if you're going to be playing a team, you know, in the next couple of days, then there there'll be a couple uh, sour looks, not much talking to do. So uh, I think it'll be a pretty interesting environment, but uh, it'll definitely be fun for sure. You know, one of the things we talk about every year leading up to the World Junior is one of the differences between uh, the U.S. roster and uh, Canada's roster is mostly uh, the Canadian roster is mostly uh, major junior guys. And by the time the tournament rolls around, they've played 25, 30 games. And we always wonder, is that an advantage for Canada compared to Team USA, mostly college guys. And by then you're playing, you know, maybe 10, 12 games, something like that. And is that a difference? This year, you guys are actually going to be uh, having a, a, a handful of games uh, under your belt by the time the World Junior comes around, maybe even more than that. Major Junior isn't going to be starting probably until January. So does that give you guys an advantage this year? Um, you know, I've never really looked at it like that. I think, uh, I think it may lead, you know, to the first couple of games, maybe having a little bit more comfort, um, you know, just being on the ice and in the game style format. But, uh, I mean, I'm at the end of the day, you know, all the teams are, are having their camps and they have a ton of competition going on leading up to the tournament. And, mm-hmm. um, so I mean, I have no doubt that, you know, every single team there will be, uh, ready to go by the time the first puck drop is. John, I should ask you about this season for the Michigan Wolverines. It'll be year two for you. Uh, last year, nine goals, 16 assists in 31 games. A pretty solid uh, freshman season. Uh, but when it comes to freshmen, boy, the uh, incoming class for the Wolverines uh, is the talk of the town, isn't it? I guess the talk of college hockey right now. Uh, what do you look at when you look around the room uh, with your teammates? This is a team that uh, could go a long way this year. Yeah, no, we uh, we have a really deep roster this year. You know, it's going to be exciting to to see what we can do. Um, you know, I mean, our 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 leadership groups, you know, and our older guys have done a great job at at bringing the freshmen in. Obviously, you know, sometimes with such a big freshman class, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty as to how things may play out. But uh, I mean, they've been looking really good at practice. You know, I mean, they're competing hard, and you know, I think everybody up and down our lineup knows that. I mean, everybody's battling for a spot right now. You know, come the next couple of weeks when we start playing games here, so. Um, you know, I think there's uh, a really good chance that we, you know, we uh, we make a run this year. And um, at the end of the day, it's just going to come down to, uh, you know, us just doing the right things, you know, night in and night out and, and staying safe away from the rink with, with coronavirus and everything that's going on there. So, uh, I mean, I think we have, you know, a really good group in our locker room and I'm excited to get going. Just out of curiosity, I don't know how everything is, uh, you know, being done at the uh, collegiate level. Like, does, does the team stay away from the rest of the campus or... Are you guys all kind of in your own little bubble? How does all that work, especially with classes and stuff like that? So uh, at the University of Michigan, we uh, all the guys on our team are actually living in uh, our own housing right now. So um, it's pretty easy, you know, to to separate from, uh, you know, a majority of the other other students here on campus. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, you're still going to run into people, and I mean, you're still going to socialize a little bit. And um, we have, you know, we as a team, we have we have rules put in place to make sure guys are following them and, you know, doing the right thing around campus and, you know, just staying safe. So, um, we took our freshmen out of the dorms and, and got them into housing. So they weren't around all that. And, um, so, I mean, I think, you know, for the most part, we've done, we've done a great job the last couple months and, uh, we just need to keep that up. John Beecher, first round pick of the Boston Bruins uh, in 2019, uh, not having any sort of uh, summer camps or anything like that for the NHL clubs that you were able to attend this past summer. Uh, that's got to suck, and uh, I'm sure you're eager to, to have that opportunity again. But what's this long uh, marathon offseason been like for you? Um, You know, it's been, it's been quiet. You know, it was a little bit of a different change of pace for me, but uh, it was nice. You know, I got to be home for, 
you know, a lot longer than I have been in a, in a couple of years. So, um, I mean, some good, you know, home time and, you know, just being around my family, having my mom's cooking and sleeping in my own bed for a couple months, you know, I mean, obviously it's not, you know, necessarily the most ideal situation with what's going on in the world right now, but, uh, I mean, I'm definitely not going to complain about, you know, spending some, some family time and, um, getting a little downtime for my body to just rest and, and get ready for this upcoming year. I've been told hockey players, when it comes to training, are, are pretty scheduled and it's almost like this, uh, the same schedules every summer, every year. You start, uh, you know, getting on the ice at the same point every summer and, and training and doing your off ice workouts, pretty much the, the same sort of schedule. Was that thrown off at, at all because of uh, the long layoff? Yeah, I think, you know, my, my weightlifting schedule um, was pretty much the same. You know, it's, it's a Monday through Saturday thing. You know, I have my own trainer back home. Um, so, I mean, that never really got mixed up. But uh, the skating definitely kind of got uh, kind of just pushed back a little bit. You know, I don't know if it got necessarily got changed up. But, uh, I mean, there was a, a month or two there where, I mean, with all the uncertainty, you know, nobody was really skating and, and no rinks were really open. So, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that, uh, that kind of hurt. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we just got off a long season and, so, I mean, a couple of weeks away from the rink wasn't really the worst thing that could happen to my body. And, um, you know, I came back and, and I felt great. And, um, I mean, here we are a couple months later getting ready for season. So, Well, let's hope everything goes off without a hitch, uh, both at the uh, NCAA and the Big Ten Conference level and uh, up here at the World Junior Championship as well. John, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I wish you the best of luck this season. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That was John Beecher. With uh, Team USA also getting set to start this season with the Michigan Wolverines, uh, the Big Ten Conference getting going here on uh, November 13th, at least. That's the plan. We'll see if, uh, in fact, it gets carried through. Uh, I know there have uh, been schools across uh, the United States that have uh, been shutting down some athletic programs. We're seeing it in New England as well. Uh, So we'll see. Hopefully everything uh, is able to start up and... uh, Knock on wood, everything is done safely, and uh, there aren't issues moving forward. Uh, personally, I'm still cautiously optimistic, but I wouldn't say overly optimistic. Maybe it's the pessimist in me. I don't know. Uh, Team USA, those should be good one this year. Will be interesting to see how many uh, NHL players with eligibility still to play in the World Junior might be freed up by their NHL teams to play in the event. Maybe it's back, you know, very similar to the, the years of NHL lockouts, uh, especially considering the uh, World Junior rosters will be expanded to 22 skaters and three goalies. That allows for a few extra players. I would think uh, probably, what, early November, we start uh, seeing some of the projected rosters from uh, countries. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Thanks to uh, Aaron Wessendorf from USA Hockey for setting up that interview and Christy McNeil at Michigan as well for her contribution. Let's move on to our next guest, uh, also south of the border, another college hockey segment, uh, Brad Elliott Schlossman. You've heard him here on the Pipeline Show for uh, well over a decade now. He is the man when it comes to uh, college hockey, specifically North Dakota, and that falls in the NCHC Conference. Let's talk about their plan to return to action on December 1st. They're going to do it in a bubble in Omaha. Let's get all the details from Brad next here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, it's Tyson Jost from the Pentecton Vs. Jost racing back at center by himself. End to end. Jost shooting. Scores! Tyson Jost does it himself. End to end with 2.11 to go. 
listening to the Pipeline Show. Check out the massive year-end clearance sale happening now at Arcan Trailer and RV. Just over 30 units left, including Montana, Sprinter, Viking, and Coleman. Shop all new 2018, 2019, and 2020. Tent trailers, fifth wheels, travel trailers, and toy haulers from now until the end of October and receive free storage, a $500 parts credit, a free starter kit, and more. Time is running out. Don't miss these clear-out prices at Arcan RV, only while supplies last. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. You know, I hear the camera adds 10 pounds. Looks like you've eaten five cameras. It's The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we have an NCAA campus report now. And, of course, those are brought to you by College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family and they need to know what they can and can't do to maintain their eligibility, well, College Hockey, Inc. is a great resource for that. You can get in touch with either Nate Yule or Mike Snee, and they can help steer you in the right direction and answer any questions that you might have as well. Uh, my guest this week, uh, Brad Schlossman, the Grand Forks Herald. Welcome back to the program, Brad. How are things? Always good to chat with you, Guy. And uh, it feels like uh, hockey season is uh, coming along pretty soon here. So that's uh, I was exciting news as well. Yeah, it's, well, at least we can finally talk about actual hockey uh, here as the <laughs> NCHC has uh, announced plans. Uh, what, early December they're going to start the season, correct? Yeah, December 1st is is the target date, uh, so we're, we're closing in here. Which is a little bit later than some of the other conferences have said. Uh, I think Big Ten, Atlantic Hockey, uh, two for sure, that have said November 13th they're going to start uh, playing some games. Um, why the uh, the pushback a couple of weeks? Not that I think anybody is going to really complain about uh, rushing into things, uh, but uh, <clears throat> why not start November 13th like the others? Well, the the NCHC is going with a completely different setup than the other leagues. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons why is a lot of these leagues are uh, much easier um, driving leagues per se. Uh, you know, some of them can plus have all these teams within two hours of each other, and so it's much easier to drive to all the destinations. Uh, that, of course, is not the case with the NCHC. It is located across uh, three different time zones. Um, you have, uh, you know, teams all over the place. And so instead of uh, having them at home sites, they've decided they're going to bring all eight teams to one location. Uh, they're all going to Omaha. They're going to play uh, 10 games in 21 days. Uh, that is each team is going to play 10 games. So a total mm-hmm. of 40 games. And uh, I, I think there's a few reasons for that. Number one, uh, they can set up uh COVID testing that uh, every team can be doing the same thing. They can standardize it and streamline it. And, uh, you know, another uh, uh, thing it does is it allows the teams at their home sites a little bit more time to set up testing before they go back to home sites in the second half. And the third thing, uh, because there are so many flight trips within this league, um, what they're going to do is they're going to try to eliminate all uh, a lot of the flight trips by going to one place. And so, yes, they're going to be staying there for 21 days, but they're going to be saving money uh, by doing this. You know, if you, if you think like Denver and CC, they're located by each other, they're not going to play in, in this pod um, because it's easy for them to play. But 
you know, CC and Denver are flying all over the, to, to every other team. And now uh, instead of doing that this year, they're going to go fly one place and knock out a bunch of games. Really makes sense to me uh, that they're able to do that. And you're right. I mean, it's uh, something that the conference, it's a challenge geographically for the conference to be able to, to uh, play regularly. So this little bubble idea, a three-week bubble, uh, we saw what the bubble did here in Edmonton for the NHL. It, it, yeah. it was successful. So I think this is a really smart way of doing it. Now, in the second half of the season, as you mentioned, it will be kind of business as usual. Uh, why not have another bubble in the second half instead? You know, I I think uh, one of the challenges with doing the bubble is, is the academic situation. A, a lot of these kids are, uh, obviously all these kids are going to class and doing that. Uh, the timing of this comes at a time when a lot of these uh Classes are winding down for the semester. Okay. Uh, they aren't missing many classes. They set them up so the, the kids who have to take finals can take them, uh, in Omaha. Uh, and, you know, the University of Nebraska Omaha will be overseeing uh, academics there. And I think that would be the biggest challenge in the second half would be how do you pull this off, you know, with kids going to school and, um, you know, and, and also I, I think they want to try to get to, to home sites. So uh, they're going to try that. Uh, if, you know, things don't work, you know, who knows, maybe they come up with a, another idea in the second half where you, you have to uh, bubble teams at, at some point. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And I'm assuming media that goes and uh, will be in the bubble and you, you stay yeah, uh, kind of sequestered as well. How do you get your pizza then, Brad? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I'll have to figure out uh, how food is going to work. Um, in, in reality, you know, they, they are. I, I maybe have to talk to some of the media members up in uh, that were in Edmonton, but um, you know, they are going to be playing two or three games a day um, because there's not going to be fans. They, they certainly won't have concessions open, I wouldn't think. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have to think ahead on how you're going to eat at the rink and things like that. So. Uh, that'll be interesting. The other thing is, is um, it, it's not going to be uh, a tight bubble like the NBA and NHL. Like they can't block off city streets and completely shut down the neighborhood like uh, they did in Edmonton and in Florida. So uh, they are going to be going back and forth from a hotel to the arena, but uh, certainly they're going to try to limit their uh, exposure to outside people okay uh just out of curiosity why omaha i mean there are a number of teams uh, that could probably pull it off but uh, why did uh, uh, that location be selected for this uh, i guess they're calling it a pod but i call it a bubble yes yeah uh it's called it a hub a bubble a pod you know whatever um i, I think it all came down to their partnership with the university of nebraska medical center mm. uh it's one of the uh top hospitals uh, in the United States uh, for infectious disease. And, um, you know, it, it's really a world-renowned uh, facility. They were one of the leaders in treating um, Ebola patients in 2014. Uh, they've been uh, some of the leaders, uh, especially early on, um, in treating coronavirus patients here in the United States. And uh, I believe they even did... Uh, uh, one of the uh, trials early on on remdesivir, the drug that uh, uh, Donald Trump ended up taking when he got coronavirus here too. So it's 
It's just a, a facility that really has done a lot of work with infectious disease. And I think uh, they really like the idea of that partnership. Uh, Omaha also does have two ice sheets. So they are uh, able to have practices simultaneously or uh, a practice on the second sheet while the game is going on. Mm. Um, other than that, uh, the other site they really considered was Grand Forks because uh, obviously the Ralph's uh, facilities are uh, outstanding. And, and, and Ralph could have uh, had locker rooms for all uh, eight teams and they wouldn't have had to move. They are going to have to move in and out of locker rooms uh, in Omaha. Um, but yeah, I think it ultimately came down to that partnership with the uh, University of Nebraska and Medical Center. Brad Ellard Schlossman from the uh, Grand Forks Herald is my guest here on the Pipeline Show, looking ahead to the NCHC uh, season. Um, you mentioned they're going to play uh, 10 games in 21 days. Now, normally in three weeks, they'd play maximum six games, I would guess, would be the max, mm-hmm. because it's usually a couple mm-hmm. on the weekend. Can that be a problem for anybody, or... I mean, one way to look at it, it's only four games. The other way to look at it is almost double the normal schedule. Um, so do you think it has an impact either way? Well, I I think maybe it could help teams with a, a little bit more depth if they can roll in uh, uh, players. Um, uh, you know, especially college hockey teams never have to worry about uh, taxing goaltenders when you only really play two games a week. Right. Um, they never think about that. Well, hey, maybe this is a situation where you, you can't play a guy 10 games in 21 days. Maybe you want your, your second guy. So uh, that could play a factor. The other thing that could play a huge role in these early games is the World Juniors. They are going to start taking World Junior kids midway through the pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, North Dakota had uh, Jake Sanderson, Mitchell Miller, Tyler Clevin, Judd Caulfield all at the camp uh, and take, you know, potentially take four guys out of the lineup and it's a completely different team. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Also um, Denver has Bobby Brink at the, the U S world junior camp too. So Denver could be without Brink for, for a portion of this uh, pod too. So that, that definitely could play a, a big role in how those teams uh are when the when those guys leave. Bernard Docker too old now? Did he age? He is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wasn't he, sure. he is too old, so he's uh, he got his gold and When it comes to scheduling, will they just play every third day? No, the, um, they're still working out the the schedule, but uh, it sounds like they're going to try to cluster games on weekends. Hmm. So they're going to have three games on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, one of the big reasons for that is because the, the kids aren't going to have uh, school obligations uh, on the weekend. So they're going to try to play uh, up to three games on Saturdays and Sundays and then two games uh, during the week. So um, the, I, I, the schedule could be a little bit disjointed, but I, I don't think it's going to be a set. Uh, you're playing once every, you know, uh, X amount of days. You, you know, they're going to have some back-to-backs in there. Um, I, I think they said they, they don't want to have any more than maybe two back-to-backs, if I remember right. I, uh, I'd have to double-check that uh, on okay. that. But, yeah, they will have some back-to-backs. All right. Uh, well, the schedule gets going uh, December 1st. You mentioned that they uh, want to start playing games. Um, all right, when it comes to the teams and the uh, the players on the rosters, this year, last year, North Dakota was uh, the top team in the NCHC. Uh, how much is different from last year's roster? Who are the key guys that uh, are no longer uh, with North Dakota? 
Well, they they lost a, a couple uh, a couple of D men, uh, especially you know Colton Pullman's been their captain the last two years. He was a senior and signed with Calgary. Uh, you know Andrew Pesky is a guy who um, really had a strong senior year, and he's gone. Um, you look at uh, up front; uh, they lost a, a few players up front uh, that they'll have to replace. Weston Mashad was a uh, you know, as a grad transfer last year who had a really good year. And, and, you know, perhaps the guy who I think was really, really underrated last year was Cole Smith. He was a, a big physical power forward who was on the, their shutdown line. And when UND had last line change, they would put Cole Smith's line on the other team's top line every game. And he was so dominant with puck possession and, and, you know, anytime he got into a board battle, he would win it. He would take the puck in the offensive zone, and him and his line would not give up the puck. So other teams' top lines just never had the puck. And and he ended up uh, turning uh, – he was a senior, signed with the Nashville Predators at the end of the year. But when UND had last line change last year, they had last change 19 times last year. They won 18 of those games. Wow. And I think that was a big reason why, because they could – eliminate another team's top line night in and night out. So that's a big loss. So they do have some losses, but North Dakota is still definitely going to be the favorite because they do have a lot of guys coming back. They return their whole top line, which was um, Jordan Caliguchi, uh, Hobie Baker finalist last year, uh, Grant Mismash and Colin Adams. All three of those guys are back. Their second line center, Shane Pinto, he's back. Uh, his right winger most of last year was Judd Caulfield. He's back. Um, so, so they have a bulk of their top six back. You bring in the USHL MVP and Reese Gaber, uh, from Manitoba. And, uh, you know, they're pretty loaded up front. You go to the back end. Yes, they lost those two guys. They also bring back Jacob Bernard Docker, the first round pick. They bring back Matt Kirstead, who was, one of college hockey's top free agents last year and opted to come back. A lot mm. of people were surprised that he ended up coming back for one more year. And, and then you bring in, you know, a top five pick in Jake Sanderson. So, you know, they have some uh, really good depth on D. And in goal, they bring back both their goaltenders. Uh, Adam Scheel and Peter Tomey um, have split time the last two years. And we were talking about going into the hub and having to play a lot of games. I'm sure uh, Brad Barry's happy he has two really experienced goaltenders that he can throw in. It's funny, I was looking at the blue line just on the roster, and five of the ten uh, guys listed as defensemen for North Dakota this year, five of them are freshmen, four of them are drafted, though. So uh, it might be young, kind of young on paper, but uh, really good, Jake Sanderson and and uh, Tyler Clevin, Mitchell Miller, uh, and uh, Cooper Moore, uh, all four of those guys drafted and Luke Bast uh, incoming freshman uh, actually Luke is going to go back to junior one more year oh is he so, okay uh, yep yep so Luke won't be coming in I think that's probably a good move just you know yeah he would probably like to play with his uh, big brother but um, they have so many guys on D that uh, you know he's going to get a lot more playing time in the USHL this year and then he'll come in next year, a year older, and that's probably a really good development path for Luke. Uh, it's probably good for him hockey-wise. It's a shame, though. I bet he was looking forward to yeah. getting to play with Gabe uh, for the one season. Um, quickly, we're looking around the rest of the conference. Uh, who are the teams that uh, are going to give North Dakota the toughest challenge this year? 
Well, I, I like Denver. Um, you know, they have a lot of guys back. Uh, you know, Bobby Brink is going to have a big year. They have some, some D-men who uh, uh, I think were pretty good last year. They bring in Michael Benning from the Alberta League. Um, uh, they have Slava Deming coming back. Uh, the, the big question for them is who's going to be that offensive guy. They lost Ian Mitchell. Who's going to run that power play for them? Uh, big question mark there. They have Magnus Krohn back in goal. Uh, which will, uh, you know, make the uh, coaching staff pretty comfortable back there because he's he he's been really good for them. Um, you know, Minnesota Duluth has had some really good teams. Um, up, they're going to be like opposite than they were the last couple of years. So they had a loaded decor and a really experienced, successful goaltender in Hunter Shepard. And up front, they were they were average. They weren't that good up front. Uh, this year they're going to be excellent up front, but they lost all their demon and their goaltender. Mm. So the, the big question for Duluth is how often can those demon get the puck up to those really good forwards to play in the offensive zone? You know, they got the Cates brothers, Swaney, um, Cole Kepke had a really, really good year last year, the, the lightning draft pick. But, you know, when you take out Scott Perinovich, um, they, they had uh, still in Sandberg signed with the Jets, you know, the, there that's a work in progress we'll see how that goes and then i i think st cloud was sneaky a little bit last year um they they were a middle of the pack team but uh they were kind of sneaky good at times last year especially as the, the season went on and they're a team that i think could you know people could be forgetting about uh, and could come in and have a really good year Excellent. Lots to look forward to in the NCHC. And as always, it's, it's such a competitive conference that there's really, you can't afford to take a, a weekend or two off, um, because, uh, the competition, the level of competition is so strong. That's, uh, exactly it. Uh, you know, e- even the, the last place team, it, it, like you said, um, you don't show up one night, you're going to lose. And I think that's one of the compelling parts for, for fans and, and certainly for media who cover it. Uh, it's, it's an interesting night every night. Brad, I appreciate your time as always. Uh, maybe we'll talk to you from the bubble. Absolutely. Thanks, Keith. Here's Brad Elliott Schlossman from the Grand Forks Herald in North Dakota. Covers the uh, Fighting Sioux. Excuse me, the Fighting Hawks. Old habits. Let me know what you think of the NCHC's plans to do the hub in Omaha. And I personally, I said it in the interview, I really like the idea. I think it actually will work. We saw the NBA, the NHL both have success using the bubble format. So I think the potential for it to work is there. Don't know about the second half, though, about basically going back to normal for the second half of the season. I guess only time will tell. And we are, again, I've been saying it uh, for a while, three months away, I guess two and a half now, all of November, all of December, uh, before we get to into January. And how much things can change between now and then, only time will tell, but but as of the way things are today, uh, I would be leery about uh, a normal schedule in the second half. But I really like the bubble idea uh, to start things off for three weeks in December. Let's continue on with the show. After two segments with guests from south of the border, we'll turn our attention to the Canadian Hockey League. We'll start in the queue with Willie Pavlov, who writes for the Chronicle Herald in Halifax, covering the Halifax Mooseheads. Let's get the latest on the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. After that, we'll speak with John Keane, the voice of the Kamloops Blazers. All that coming up on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. 
And Raymond stays with him. Lafreniere pokes it ahead. Still has it. Rolling puck. Lafreniere works in. Shoots. Scores! What a goal by Alexi Lafreniere! A superstar in the making! This is Alexi Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Colton Pareko. And Patrick Sharp were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hello there. All right, back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We're going to head out to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. That is one of the only leagues that even got going, yet most of it has been shut down. Uh, it went down to five teams being active. Uh, since then, uh, since the press release from the, the, the league came out about a week ago uh, that had uh, Moncton also being sidelined, I believe the Wildcats are back up and running now. Uh, to to uh, give us the latest, Willie Paloff from the uh, the Herald Chronicle in Halifax. Uh, Willie, welcome back to the program. How are you? I am good. Thanks for having me again. Uh, good to talk to you. Uh, I guess just what is the latest? Uh, things seem to be changing so quickly these days that uh, I'm not even sure what the latest is in the queue. But correct me if I'm wrong, back up to six teams now uh, are allowed to play? Yeah. Actually, as of this morning, the Wildcats were – we're allowed back uh, back out for games. So as far as New Brunswick goes, they had a, an outbreak at a, I guess it was a nursing home. So it was it was mostly contained there, but that uh, that quarantined them for the better part of two weeks. But they they did contain it pretty well, and uh, they got to practice throughout that. So they should still be in game shape and everything else. And I think if you add it up, they only missed two games, which is really not much. And uh, if we're fast forwarding to the end of a season, you know, you could just rank teams on winning percentage and things like that. So I don't think they're too concerned about uh, these little blips. It's more uh, what's happening in Quebec right now. That's yeah. the, the bigger concern. But from everything I've heard, the um, the numbers are dropping again. It's in the two red zones. They have the yellow, orange, and red. I don't know how they do it out there, but uh, red, of course, is when uh, you have to go back to uh, the most extreme quarantining and everything else. But I, I, I hear it's getting better all the time. They've given them October 28th. So one more week till they reassess. That right. doesn't mean they'll open then, but if it's improved, they could go back to orange and um, they might be able to play games again. So, uh, yeah, that, that puts us at one-third of the league operating right now, which uh, hopefully is just a blip. Yeah, hopefully that's the case. And uh, that a week from now, uh, the bulk of the uh, the teams in the queue will be able to start playing again. Hopefully that's the case. If not, though, and, and it is pushed back another couple of weeks or or whatever, however far they would push uh, the, the games in the in Quebec in that province. How long could the the league operate with only the maritime teams being able to play? Case, I don't know that they want to consider that hypothetical yet. Um, I don't. It wouldn't really be a league uh, right. if you only had six, and 
you know, I think that they're going to really monitor this little flare up because they did loosen the restrictions in Quebec for uh, the end of the summer. And then they got the, I don't know if we, we are we calling things the second wave or is it just, I mean, one wave that goes up and down, I guess. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the wave went back up again. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't think they want to consider that yet. The government, the provincial government did uh, offer a little more bailout money to the 12 teams in Quebec again. So I, I think the whole province is hoping for the best there. Um, which again, I don't know how it's going out there, but, um, you know, here in Atlantic Canada, we want things to work out well, but when things require a practical and sometimes extreme solution, they just do it. They, there's, there's no wishful thinking. It's just, uh, you know, if they have to shut sports down, they get shut down. So I guess in Quebec, there's, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely, a, um, some sort of general consensus they want to at least try to get things going normally in sports and a whole bunch of other stuff. Has there been any talk at all uh, about let's just shut it down completely and maybe start again in January like the OHL and the WHL are? Or is there just the, 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 the mindset that we're going to forge through this and make the accommodations we need to make to make it work? Yeah, no, the the second thing you said, they've uh, the, when they, when they first – had the shutdown the league wasn't pleased at all and they said hey come on we've been really doing our best here to you know cut down our cases and exposure and we'll do more you just have to tell us what more we need to do so uh as it turned out the next day i think almost um almost the entire blainville boivarian team tested positive and mm-hmm. then you had some uh, other positive tests at other teams so um I think, though, they still have that mindset that uh, if the province of Quebec keeps kind of going backwards here, that they'll try to find some other way, whether that's uh, around-the-clock quarantining or bubbling or whatever it is. I think that their frame of mind right now is let's make sure we have major junior hockey this year. Well, it's not really feasible to gather a bunch of teams into one central city or a central hub and have a bubble for a month or something like that. I mean, all these kids are going to school, right? So that's it's not it's different than the NHL where you're dealing with with uh, with men uh, and professional athletes. That would be a a real logistical challenge for the Q, wouldn't it? I would think so, yeah. Uh, but the the uh, opposing argument would be. A lot of these guys already do their their schooling remotely. Right. You know they they don't all mostly don't play in their hometowns. Um. So they're they're on the SAGEP system. Probably not going to class. They could take their education anywhere. Um. The one theory I heard too. I I don't. It, it's probably never going to happen. It was out there a little bit. Is the two the two hottest spots as you would imagine were Montreal and Quebec City. So. With all majority of these kids are billeted and everything else, then maybe let's find two places for uh, those two teams to relocate that are outside that hot zone. Because if you actually go into the, the outer limits of Quebec, so up to Ramouski and Bécamo, uh their cases are almost non-existent. Um, probably some of the towns like Ruinaranda and Valdora like that too. So mm. if you're looking at it that way, these kids 
mostly are already living away from home. Uh, that would be hard for, uh, you know, coaches and staff to relocate. But if it's for a short period, maybe they could do it. And they're not playing in front of fans anyway. They don't have any intention of having people in the rink this year. Right. So you could you could go to any number of towns in Quebec. So I, I suppose maybe they're considering a plan C or D right now. But I think right now uh, they're still hoping plan A works. But, uh, you know, here we are less than a less than a month in and it's it's taken a turn so i don't know how extreme the thinking is going to get if it keeps going sideways here i know i'm sure you heard the story out of uh the uh, out of ontario where the uh sport minister there had suggested if the ohl wants to come back they're gonna have to not just take out fighting but all body contact <laughs> as well uh and that got a lot of chuckles uh, from people out west uh certainly the commissioner ron robison was asked about that said that doesn't even make sense uh, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, what's the, you know, when it comes to actually um, transmitting the disease or passing it around, playing hockey, is it happening? I mean, the, the cases that we talked about uh, that with the three teams in Quebec, um, Sherbrooke and, and Blainville Boisbriand, the two for sure who uh, have the most cases, can we say for sure that it was because they played hockey that uh, it was passed around? I mean, there's, you look at Yale in, in the States. Uh, and they've shut that program down. I know it's different league, different country, but it was from off ice parties uh, that they went uh, off campus parties that all the players went to. Not even a hockey issue. So, do we know how it was? Uh, how the players came about it with uh, with COVID in in those two situations? I I don't know that they could trace it all the way back to that to, to actually being on ice. But you know, we we would know. Look, they're in the dressing room together. Uh, they're in a bus going to and from a road game. Mm-hmm. They hang out together constantly, these kids, as you know. So, so there's any number of ways that they could have transmitted between each other. But I know here, I mean, I'm more familiar with our situation here in the Maritimes, in, well, Atlantic Canada, and they've been super careful. Like, the kids wear masks. Um, the, the rinks do have some people. But, for example, the rink where the Mooseheads play holds over 10,000, and there's not even 2,000 people in there. So, And there's no way they're close to each other to be able to transmit. Right. Uh, for for me, I wear a mask the entire game. I, I do interviews from more than six feet apart. Uh, we have special area where we can write after the game. Uh, they come to a special area. So I guess it varies from place to place, but the biggest – really baseline is just getting down to a case level that if you do have an outbreak, it's easy to trace and it's easy to shut it down quickly. So again, I think the density in Montreal and Quebec city are posing the biggest problems because back to your original point, well, how do we know that those Blainville players didn't catch it uh, at a fast food restaurant? And I have no idea. Right. But uh, when you see it, when you see a spike of more than, one or two cases, then it makes it a lot harder to trace. So I, I hope that they can get it to a manageable level there so that if there's any kind of break outbreak, they can maybe shut one team down like they did with the Wildcats in Moncton, uh, keep everybody quarantined, and then uh, you don't lose these big chunks like that. So, But again, with, with a province the size of Quebec, I don't know that it's realistic. I'm, ho- I'm hopeful. 
we all want to see hockey, but uh, mm-hmm. we have to be realistic too. Willie Palo from the Halifax Chronicle Herald is my guest, CHL Insider. All right, let's talk about the hockey. Actually, that you've been able to see on on the ice, and I guess with just the Maritime teams uh, playing uh, one another uh, uh, thus far, uh, what has stood out for you uh, so far this season, Willie? Well, I, I, let's start with the team I cover the most, the Mooseheads. We'll work out from there. Um, Zachary LaRue, he's draft eligible kid here, has been really good for Halifax. Played in Moncton last year. Came uh, over in a trade. Player to be named later from a big trade last year. So if you're a draft follower, um, I don't know. He's got a chance to go top 10, first round anyway. So that's been, uh, that's been fun to watch. Um, Justin Barron is going to be back playing this this weekend uh first round pick of the avalanche what was that a couple of weeks ago now yeah um he just had a little bit of a cleanup on his shoulder where he had had that blood clot last year so um that's a permanent fix for him so i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him play he's he's a lot of fun to watch um and then outside of that uh st john was supposed to be the team to beat on paper they still should be the team to beat but have really sputtered it's been weird um greg gilbert's the coach there now so sometimes when you get a new coach even a good one like him who's been around the block you know there's there's a few growing pains but uh if i'm that organization i don't think i'd leave it until christmas to to fix it Mm -hmm. and i'd say the surprise has been up in bathurst they they're on a long rebuild they're only really a year and a half into it, but they've looked really good. They've been the surprise team. So uh, at least we get to talk a little bit about what's happening on the ice. So that's nice. And uh, yeah, those are, those are the things I've noticed the most so far down here. I want to ask briefly about Cole Huckins. I don't know if you've seen him play, but uh, a big kid like that, I, I believe he's also draft eligible for the 2021 NHL draft, I think. Uh, but big kid and putting up points. So what have you seen from him? Well, unfortunately, that's the one team I haven't seen yet. Ah, they okay. haven't been to town or, <laughs> um, I, I am, but I'm looking forward to him. I think he's got more than the point per game already. And, uh, starting out, I think they, a lot of the rankings have him around third round, maybe even second round. Mm-hmm. But, uh, to your point, when the, when the big kids start to produce numbers at an early stage like this, because the, the bigger they are often, the later they bloom. So, uh, for him to be him to be uh, kind of blossoming already is, is really positive. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him. He's a uh, he's a good player. So uh, hopefully, uh, and I don't get to see him this weekend either. So I have to wait a little bit longer. But I am looking forward to that, especially since with this six team uh, division, we're going to see these kids twelve times each. So <laughs> that's a, a bit of a bit of repetition. But at least uh, you know you try to find these little reasons to to get up for each game. So that's the one there I'm watching for, for sure. It's funny because that's the plan here in the WHL as well. Each province is basically going to stay as a, a little mini league of its own for the entire season. So the five Alberta teams will just play each other up to 50 games uh, this year. So we'll, we're going to have that type of scenario uh, out <laughs> here as well. Um, what's the situation with the import players and the Americans? Have uh, any of them started to make their way over? I know, Quebec actually brought in a couple of fins, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, uh, we'd probably need another show to work that one out. But uh, <laughs> the short answer is uh, they haven't allowed 
none of the maritime teams have been able to get theirs here and uh, extrapolate a little bit from the concept that's got us to where we're very close to being a COVID free bubble down here Mm -hmm. is that the provincial governments especially are being, you know, very rigid and very cautious. A lot of international students can't come here. They're welcome to follow their courses uh, remotely, but, uh, Kind of the general rule of thumb has been that, look, if you don't have to come here for a necessary work reason, then uh, we're not going to let you come here, especially if you're a non-Canadian. So um, there's been no flexibility for the maritime teams. But uh, in Quebec, there have been a few guys trickle in. Um, I know Blainville Boisbriand got... uh, Yaroslav Likachev in earlier and the two Finnish players, as I understand it, Patrick Waugh, who of course runs the Remparts, hired a top, uh, I think it was an immigration lawyer in Toronto and they, they worked through the case. So in isolation for the teams in Quebec, it's, it's not, and this isn't what Patrick Waugh is going for necessarily, but it's, it's not a great look to have the wealthier teams, being able to have access to lawyers who can pull these kind of things together, especially when there's so much government bailout money being funneled into these teams. So I don't know um, how people are going to view that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Patrick's not the kind of guy who cares. What? He wants he wants the players on his team playing hockey. Um, and I know if uh, I've seen some interviews he's done where uh he said, look, this is also my way of forcing the issue. Let's, let's find a way to get these kids here. Um, so that might work. He might, he might have succeeded, but, uh, the fact that that's happening while they're having an outbreak, um, it's hard to reconcile those two things together. So, but I do know here, here in Atlantic Canada, I mean, for example, the Mooseheads have two Europeans who can't get here and one American who can't get here and, they're frustrated by that because it's basically what should be a first or a second line um, that they don't have in a rebuilding year. So um, hockey wise, it's tough, but at the same time, like I said earlier, everybody here is pretty committed to keeping it, uh, keeping our cases down. So, you know, nobody wants to be the person responsible for pushing the envelope and causing a flare up. Uh, that's for sure. Well, let's hope uh, that the uh, hockey gets back uh, for the rest of the league as well. And uh, not just in the Maritimes, but uh, uh, we'll definitely be keeping an, an eye on it from, uh, well, from, from afar for us, but uh, you're right there uh, at, I don't want to say ground zero. That sounds really negative, but you're on the scene. <laughs> Put it that way. Willie, yeah. as always, uh, great to chat with you. Uh, I hope we can do it again soon. All right. Thanks, buddy. I'll talk to you again soon. Willie Palo from the uh, Halifax Chronicle Herald with an update from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. I had that conversation with Willie via the Troubled Monk hotline back on Wednesday. So patrons have had a couple of days to hear that interview already. If that's something that you would be interested in to have early access like that, costs two bucks a month. You go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show. All the details are there for you. And you can hear full interview segments uh, like that usually about uh, half an hour, maybe an hour after the uh, interviews are done. Great info there from Willie once again. And this week's show will end with another terrific interview with a guy who covers the CHL. 
This time it'll be the voice of the Kamloops Blazers, John Keeney. He's also the voice of uh, WHL this week. Like I was, he was included in the uh, WHL's conference call with Ron Robison last week, so I thought I would pick his brain, get his perspective on how things are going to unfold and what the WHL is going to look like, even from a broadcast perspective, come January 8th. All of that to finish out this week's episode of the Pipeline Show next. Hey, this is Cody Glass from the Portland Winter Hawks. It's the draw. Glass walking towards the net. He scores! First period hat trick. It's natural from Cody Glass. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week has a real dark side to it. Tell us more, bud. A world award-winning brown ale, Open Road, ale that will have you asking yourself why you've avoided dark beers all these years. Roasty and delicious. Play with comparable Zidane Chara, dependable and solid, and not to be looked past. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer and get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. This is The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. We'll end this week's episode uh, looking at the Western Hockey League. Last week, the WHL had a conference call with Commissioner Ron Robison outlaying the plans for a January 8th start, and that's a firm start, according to the commissioner, uh, to talk about that and uh, to share his perspective, John Keane, the voice of the Kamloops Blazers. Welcome back to the program, John. How are things in Kamloops? Hey, Guy, great. I remember back in the day when, when I jump on with you and you would have uh, that the big voice guy there from WHL <laughs> yeah. to speak, always do the intros here, so I, I miss that a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, no doubt uh, still playing the waiting game and, uh, you know, hoping I think everybody that's involved with junior hockey or hockey for that matter uh, just wanting to get back to what they do and, you know, get back in the battle a little bit. Uh, I have to find that audio, actually. John Keane. I, I can't <laughs> yeah, do it. Yeah, It's David Lee. Uh, David, David Lee. Lee uh, yes. So when he uh, he's like the voice, I think he's the voice of Megatron in the old Transformers uh, cartoons. And um, you know, I wanted to make a splash with that radio show when I took it over, like, what, I don't know, like 15 years ago. So I employed him, uh, sent him 200 bucks, and he wrote, uh, read a bunch of liners. It was great. Money nice. well spent. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's get to the business. And as you said, everybody wants to get back playing and and uh, for everything to get back to normal. I, I like that they've pushed it back to January because I thought starting in December was still too early. But is three months going to change anything? Or, do you think by the time January comes around, we'll actually be able to get back to uh, some sort of normalcy when it comes to playing hockey? No fans and stuff like that. And obviously the scheduling is going to be different. But can we pull this off? Can the league pull it off? I think we can pull it off. Like I think we're going to see some junior leagues sort of chart the course uh, first, especially you know in BC. You're going to have you know the, the Kootenai International Junior League here start November 13th. BCHL uh, with plans as well. We're already seeing, and I'm not sure if it's the greatest example, but we're seeing the Quebec League right. uh, at least attempt to get things going. Except you know we see you know all the red zones in Quebec and their high COVID numbers, uh, which has basically forced uh, you know Quebec to be in a pause right now. The Maritimes 
seem to be doing a pretty good job, even with fans in the building. Like, what what a sight for sore eyes that was when you, you see some of, you know, some fans uh, at the games, the queue and the maritime spots there. But uh, I think there's going to be hiccups. There's no doubt there's going to be hiccups. I, I think the league will take uh, COVID uh, seriously when it comes with infection. And, and there'll be uh, there'll be infections. I mean, I think we have to already assume that and teams will assume that and they'll prepare for that. Uh, and they'll have to find a way to navigate around everything and, and find a way. But, but there's no doubt in my mind that they, they are marching forward for January 8th. It's just a matter of, you know, uh, they don't call the final shots, right? That'll still be health districts and, and provincial uh, health authorities that, you know, may have the ultimate decision. You know, and I like the idea of playing just within the provinces. On one hand, it sucks because you're going to get bored of seeing the same four opponents uh, for a 50-game season. Uh, but it's the, I think it's the safe way to go, isn't it, to, to try to narrow the, uh, uh, I guess you want to call it a, a cohort, I guess you can, uh, of teams. Um, but like you pointed out, the maritime teams, they've got their own little maritime bubble going there. And, you know, what Saskatchewan has for cases is a lot different than what we have here in Alberta. So maybe it's the sensible way to go about it. I think it is. And I think at this point, people are just willing to take some sort of hockey, right? Even if it's, you know, it's the Calgary Hitman, you know, eight to ten times, or it's the Kelowna Kamloops, you know, ten times, whatever it is. Uh, and I think that what we'll see as far as a schedule goes uh, will depend on if there will be any fans. I don't think owners are, are really having the appetite to play a 50-game season without any sort of fans or any sort of revenue here. I, they're already taking a major bath this season as it stands. Uh, and I think if, if there is a situation where there are no fans and it continues as just a, you know, a webcast only, you know, I could see that number going down maybe to like a, a 34. Uh, it's, it's different, right? Saskatchewan, Manitoba, uh, even though Manitoba is having a bit of a resurgence here, I think you know they can get going and probably could get going here pretty quick. Uh, but but it's just not the same across the board. Uh, Alberta might be a little bit behind, but ready to go. But further ahead than BC is, and then of course the you know the two states. That's another story. And um, mm. you know the, the the old adage is sort of start when you can here and and get things going and and be prepared to go January eighth. Uh, when, it, when it comes to billets and and uh, the families that uh, bring in the kids and always do such a great service for the teams and for the league in general, that's got to be a, a, an area of concern, I would have to think. Uh, you know, if it was my kid and I'm sending them to the States, uh, and if I was a billet family, I'd be a little concerned too. What are you hearing about that? Yeah, definitely. And I think there is some concern out there, especially, you know, billet families, you know, can, can range in, in demographics and age. And, you know, I think if, you know, there's there's a grandparents involved or there's close contact with a, with a grandparent, I think there is some hesitation there. I, I really think there is. Uh, I also don't think we'll, we'll see um, big rosters uh, for players. And, and one thing I, I thought of just last night is, okay, so let's say you need to call up a couple of players because we all know how how uh, prevalent that is during the season, right? You're, you probably have two or three call-ups at some point uh, on your team at a time. What's what's the, the, the plan there as far as trying to call up a, a player from midget age, bringing him into a new cohort? Do they have to, you know, quarantine or, or something? So, you know, it's really going to be interesting to see how they manage a roster here, what number they will go with, and how much stress they will put on billets on that front. But, you know, I think, again, we're, we're seeing some of these leagues start up, and there is a lot of 
of information being shared and a lot of different uh, plans in place uh, to see how they can pull this off. And I think they'll they'll use that knowledge. And you know, there's no doubt. I think some billets are taking a leap of faith, right? That's why they're you know they're really some some unsung heroes uh, when it comes to junior hockey. That's a good point about uh, the um, player transactions that we usually see in a season. Although this year, no U17s that teams will have to work around. The World Junior is going to be done mm-hmm. before the WHL season starts. So maybe it uh, alleviates some of that uh, player movement this year. But yeah. um, John Keane is the voice of the Kamloops Blazers. What are you hearing from a broadcast perspective, John? Uh, what if, uh, like, are you going to be able to go on the road? Can you still travel with the team or will that maybe be restricted? Would you be calling games from a studio or something like that? Well, yeah, I think the NHL broadcasters did a great job of, of those studio games. Uh, and that, that's another, you know, great question. I think we're all assuming as a, as a broadcaster, uh, you know, kind of group around the league that, you know, we would be, uh, part of those road games and those road broadcasts. Uh, but you have to think of it here. We are also, in, in my case, um, I work for a radio station and I have sort of a, a bubble of, of, of employees that, that, that I spend, you know, half the time with during the season and half with, with the, with the WHL team. Uh, but that's a, that's a great question. What, what would you have to pick one? Would you have to pick a bubble? Would you have to, um, you know, do that here? We're, all, we're already looking at, you know, uh, travel and, and, and probably just day travel and, and not a lot of overnights right now. So I think that would help from a broadcaster perspective as far as uh, being part of it. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of revenue on the line here, even for radio stations here. And I, I know our radio station uh, is hoping for, you know, 34, 50 games, whatever it may be, so we can get that out to clients and, and we can try to salvage uh, uh, some of that. And, and I think that's going to be the case around the league is uh, we're going to see, you know, some sort of trying to just pick up a few pieces along the way. Uh, and, and the revenue side is, is a big part of it here. And, and it is junior hockey, but, but uh, you know, this uh, livelihood depends uh, on a lot of people and and a lot of different uh, outlets. Is it feasible that you could only use the the home team radio feed? I mean, if the Blazers were in, let's say, Kelowna, could your radio station, would your radio station just play Regan Bartel's audio? Yeah, so, I, you know, if, if you've heard a, a Blazer broadcast, everything is sponsored. I of mean, course. everything is uh, brought to you by, you know, uh, a mom-and-pop shop, the the puck, the, the goalposts, the, the broadcast booth. So there is a lot of right. writers that I don't think you could really work into uh, as far as, you know, a uh, a broadcast uh, from the other side of it here. It just, it's just not feasible. There's so many liners and, and commercials. Uh, it, I mean, it, it could it happen? Could could you do it? You could pull it off. Uh, would it work economically for for the players? I, you know, I, you know, the players at hand. I just don't think it would. But but it's definitely something you have to think about. And it's a it's a point that uh, I think uh, you know as we get closer here, that we'll have to cross that bridge. Yeah, it's it's stuff probably casual fans don't even think about not being in the industry about you know how sponsorship works and just even the the difference between a uh, you know a, a chorus station and a and a Bell Media station or you know sure yes they yeah. they don't always play well together. Uh, they, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, there's not a lot of sharing sometimes. Uh, that's right. Uh, what about import mm-hmm. players? Do you think we'll see them get uh, into the the WHL uh, the the guys from Europe and um, the even the Americans that uh, play on our side of the border, uh, that those travel restrictions could be an issue. We're seeing that right now in the queue. Yeah, yeah, but we're seeing, you know, the BCHL, just look at the rosters there, and they're uh, heavy uh, side on the Americans, so they found a way right. uh, to get them up and, and get them going here. So, you know, I think 
that won't be an issue. The, the import thing is definitely a great question, and I, and I think you're in much better shape getting your import players if they are to play in the World Juniors uh, in Edmonton. Uh, then they can just sort of branch off to their junior team from there. But you know, if you're not in a World Junior roster, uh, what will that look like here? Uh, there's there's Canadians going down to the U.S. for school, uh, and we are seeing some sort of movement around uh, in that regard. But but that's a question. And let's say you know if you're the Blazers, you have you're, you're hoping you're banking on having two import defensemen that would, you know, round out per, perhaps a, a top four after, uh, you know, drafting Victor Persson, who was a, a draft pick of the Vancouver Canucks. And then you have an Enyaki Barragano, who's a, a top defenseman in Switzerland and would be back for a second year. So, you know, there's teams banking on, you know, having these import players, but you're right. You look in Quebec, uh, they're, they're few and far between uh, right now. Um, but I think the fact with the timing of the world juniors, we're going to see, I think Bruce Hamilton mentioned it here, he's expecting both his uh, his imports uh, in Novak and Crutiel to play uh, for uh, the World Junior squad there and then just make their way to Kelowna after that. So if you have high-end Euros, I think you have a, probably a better opportunity of getting them. That's a great point because they could use the uh, the World Junior as their quarantine period. They'll have to come Completely. over and do all of that. That's That actually makes a lot of sense. Great, great thought there, John. Uh, all right, let's talk about the Blazers. Uh, this year, huge year for so many players uh, in the WHL draft eligible guys. Uh, the 2021 draft will be well represented by uh, high caliber WHL players, including a few that play uh, in uh, in the BC division and uh, Logan Stankoven for sure with the Blazers. Uh, we just saw a couple of Blazers getting drafted. This is a big year and this is a, a solid team from top to bottom. Uh, expectations will be pretty high for the Blazers this year. Yeah, they will, you know, and, and I guess you have to think about, you know, what will these teams in the end be playing for? And uh, if there is some sort of a, uh, a championship uh, carrot or, or something along the lines, you know, that changes the way you, you operate your hockey team. That, that changes the way maybe you even divvy up ice time. If it is a, a development year, well, then you have to start thinking about, um, you know, your younger roster players perhaps and, and making sure they can develop for the future. But, you know, I, I think it means to be clear uh, for the, the teams going into the season just exactly what they're playing for. Uh, and, and that's going to be major, especially when it comes to potential player movement and trades. And mm-hmm. um, that, that's interesting. And, and this is a team, Guy, that you pointed out, yeah, I think they're in a, a, a win-now window uh, with some of the talent they have returning from last season uh, and some of the young players. They have some really good 16-year-olds coming in that we're going to hear a lot about here, Guy. Uh, I want you to you know keep your, your eye on a, a player named Matt Lindgren, uh, Connor Levis, uh, Fraser Minton, three 16-year-olds that are already getting some some NHL draft radar uh, type of type of things here. So uh, they have a, a great squad led up front with with Connor Zeri and, and Oren Santazo and you know a blue line that could be pretty formidable. And oh yeah, Dylan Garand in goal, which uh, you know he could be number one uh, for Team Canada. Uh, as the World Juniors open there in Edmonton, so yeah, it's definitely a win-now roster, but it's it's a, a a thing of where what are we trying to win? That's the big question right now. Well, and that's a good point because uh, Ron Robinson was asked about that last week during the conference call, and it seems like if if we just play an entire regular season within the, the divisions, maybe you crown a, a champion from each division, but then why couldn't you get those four division champs together in some sort of bubble? And this we're talking about eight, nine months from now, so who knows what the landscape is looking yeah. like then, but you could still crown a WHL champion in my mind. 
Completely. And, you know, that's another thing you can speculate on. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up with the fact that you could get four divisional champions and you can get them perhaps if you need to into a bubble environment or to a place where fans are allowed. Uh, you know, it's all well and dandy to think, OK, let's bubble up four teams and, and accommodations and all that stuff. But but who's going to pay for it? I think that's another question that you have to raise. And if you can play uh, out of a center that would have uh, some sort of uh, uh, fans allowed, uh, I think you would be much better off. Saskatoon comes to mind in Saskatchewan. Could you do it uh, in Saskatoon? Uh, here in Kamloops, we have a hotel which is 30 steps away from the front doors of the Sandman Center. Uh, pretty much uh, in a uh, bubbled environment there. Kamloops could pull it off, but BC has much tighter restrictions. But, you know, we do have eight, nine months. That's a great point you, you brought up to, to figure all this out. But But I would assume the WHL would love to have a representative, of course, at the Memorial Cup in June, which is already bumped back. Uh, and I don't think the CHL wants to lose a second Memorial Cup here to, to COVID. And I believe they'll try to find a way to, to find a champion here at some point. I agree. Uh, Saskatoon makes sense. You could do it in Calgary, Edmonton as well, uh, especially Edmonton. Sure. Yep. Uh, they've already done the NHL with the playoff bubble, and they'll do the World Junior bubble. And and the Oilers are never using the building in uh, late May, so it's, uh, it should be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's great to think about and speculate, right? Like it, it would be, uh, you know, and I was talking to some of the players on our side, you know, they're wondering too, and I, you know, I sort of threw out that idea of, you know, what what do you think of like perhaps there could be like a a fourteen bubble and and the, the guys that I talked to were that would be, you know, as the kids say, that would be sick. So uh, we'll see what all transpires. John, I really appreciate the, your time today. Uh, it was good to catch up. Uh, thanks for doing this. Stay safe where you are. Thanks, Guy. It's always it's nice to talk hockey, right? Get the juices flowing a little yep. bit here. Let's hope that we can uh, march forward here to January and, and get it on the ice. John Keen. <laughs> there you go. I had I found it. I had to go back into my archives, like 2012 or something like that. Uh, I was able to just <laughs> dig out just that clip of uh, David Lee with that with that voice, man. How about that, though? Megatron is doing your voice for you, your voiceover. Awesome stuff. And uh, John Keane, awesome broadcaster, and uh, has been around this league for a long time uh, and knows it as well as anybody. Always appreciate when he's able to make time to come on the Pipeline Show. Tell me what you think of uh, what we were chatting about. And uh, since that interview, I've just been thinking more and more about the whole broadcaster situation because I think that's a valid question. Are, are, uh, are broadcasters going to be allowed to travel with teams. It's it's usually only one guy. I know when I've done road games as a color guy, uh, I drive myself. I've actually never been on the bus with the team aside from the Memorial Cup in 2014. But like if I do a game in Red Deer uh, as the color guy, I'm driving myself down. Most of the time in that situation, uh, whether it was Corey Graham or Andrew Peard, we would carpool and they would come with me as instead of riding the bus like they normally would. But in general, it is just the play-by-play guy that goes on the bus. I don't know how the the league will look at it because there's going to be restrictions on on the teams and organizations from the various health departments for the provinces and for the two states. So maybe maybe they'll get away with only being able to take you know 20 guys on the bus or 25 people on the bus, and maybe that means the broadcaster just gets under the wire or is one too many. I don't know how it's going to play out. But I was thinking more in the lines of, if that's the case, what do you do from a broadcaster perspective? Because it's it's not like being in an NHL market where you've got multiple camera angles. Some of these rinks, 
you know, that was the case in when the ice were in Cranbrook. He didn't have a whole lot of multi-angles to get different perspectives on plays. Uh, and even now in Winnipeg with their uh, current facility, it's limited from that perspective. And I don't think you could have just the home team do the games. Maybe you have some sort of simulcast situation set up, but you have to insert your own team's uh, sponsorship, all the commercials and stuff. I don't know how you, you're going to get around that. Uh, and, and hopefully it's a moot point. Hopefully the, all the broadcasters get to do all the home and away games. But I thought it was something worth asking one of the uh, the better broadcasters in the WHL and one of the more veteran ones as well. Uh, what his thoughts were on that, plus everything else that's going into the conversation about the WHL's return to play on January 8th. You can always join the conversation at TPS underscore Guy is where you can find me. And I would love to hear your thoughts on uh, what John had to say, what John and I talked about, and what, of course, all of my guests I talk about that uh, not just in this episode, but anytime you want to hit me up with a question or a comment at TPS at TPS underscore Guy is where you can do that. And that will wrap up this week's episode. Thanks to the four guests that you heard from next week on the show. I do have one uh, committed guest or confirmed guest who will join me. That'll be uh, Sanaya Sapergi from The Athletic in Ontario. We're going to talk a little bit about the OHL and the CHL in general. Ask her to share some of her insights. And I do have some other ideas for guests for next week's show, but haven't reached out to them just yet, so not going to jinx those. But of course, I mentioned earlier on that uh, the World Junior Championship will probably spend a little bit more time than usual even uh, preparing for the tournament this year. And with that, I will uh, say goodbye for the week. I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Between now and then, just remember to treat each other with respect. Be kind to your neighbors. Maybe do something nice for for somebody. A random acts of kindness, I think, go a long way these days. Remember to do everything that you're supposed to be doing. Wear your mask, social distance, wash your hands, all of those things. As we are all in this together. All right, until next week, everybody. My name is Keith Flaming. See ya.